family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. It's not incredibly difficult, but it has to be intentional. And how we choose to respond to what God's doing within our lives. And when we look at Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, you will actually unpack in that if you get your Bible out, you'll find two records of the creation story. What's really fascinating in chapter 3 is you're going to find the tension laid out when God gets all of his creation together and he says, it is good. Along comes in the snake or the serpent. And the serpent approaches Eve and says, did God really say that? What if the core of everything evil that would fracture our intimacy with God through faith in Christ was simply built around one simple question that is placing doubt in your heart that you were created by God and that no matter what you experience, God is with you and God is in the midst of your struggle. I think that is the primary tool that the devil uses, doubt. Now, contrast that with the second question recorded in the Bible that comes from God. It says that the cool in the evening of day, he was strolling through the garden looking for his creation, and he cried out, Adam and Eve, where are you? What if everything in this season of Lent, and yes, friends, this season of Lent is a time of self-reflection. It's a time of actually looking at what you might give up in your daily practices to be reminded of the grace and love of Christ. I love chocolate. I give up chocolate. Because every time I want to cho- a turn to chocolate, it remind me, no, Bert, you're on the journey to Easter. It helps, it's a subtle reminder to me. Some people give up social media. That would be wonderful, right? But you give something up so that you are more consciously aware of the journey that you are on. And it doesn't have to be this overbearing, sort of all negativity filled with rules. Remember last week when we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, three instructions of pursuit of holiness of heart and life were about what we do. One was about what we would avoid. Lent in this journey of reflection isn't about a group of to-dos. It isn't about a group of things that you give up. It's not just about what you follow in rules. It's about your heart. It's about turning your heart towards God, this repentance, this turning, this metanoia, this change of mind that turns towards God. That's why when, when we went through Ash Wednesday, we used the oil of gladness again, these aromatics found around Jericho infused within the olive oil, that yes, there is something profoundly arresting to realize our own mortality, that, to know that from the dust of the earth you were created and to dust you will return. No one gets out of this life physically alive. But how beautiful it is to know that you weren't just created 
by something. You were created by the living God. And you were created in the image of God that every one of you bears a resemblance to the maker of God Almighty. That is beautiful and it should do our hearts glad. But in these opening chapters, we will see and have heard the opening gap that exists between what God designs and desire in his will for the world and the way in which we're given free will and we have a tendency to follow the desires of our own hearts. This kingdom work of God is something that is going to be lived out in us. And so I want to suggest to you there's two primary ways that the kingdom work of God is thwarted. And we're going to do a little bit of what's called theodicy or thinking about a theology of the evil about getting into this. So first, evil. When we think of evil, here's the easiest way to think of it. On the one hand, we can be overly captivated looking at the Hebraic understanding of all the different words of Gehenna and evil and Satan and the fall of the angels. You can get really wrapped up in a lot of that biblically. You see that there is a divine will and there is an evil will. So just, let's just agree this. There are two teams in Scripture. There's God's team and there's the other guys. God's home they're visitors. <laughs> but whatever you choose, whether it be a Dana Carvey sort of Saturday Night Live Satan, you know, you young ones have no clue what that is. Look, <laughs> Google Saturday Night Live History Channel on Dana Carvey, you'll find it. Or whether it be a sense of spiritual warfare, as we're told clearly in the scripture in Ephesians, that what we battle is not things of the earth, but in the spiritual realm, right? There are two wills being pulled at this earth. You say it every week, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if it's not yet here, what's keeping it from happening? The work of the evil one. Now, a little nuance to that is, how often have you heard someone say, well, the devil made me... No, I didn't. The devil tempted you to do it. You did it. Right? <laughs> devil didn't make you do anything. The devil didn't make you do anything. So when we think about kingdom work of God, in a very simple picture, we have what God wants to create and do with his creation, and we've got what the evil one, the devil, Satan, Lucifer wants to do within this world. As we approach that, I want to suggest to you that there are two primary ways that the devil works in the world. The first way is that he plants doubt in the heart of God's creation. The devil can't create anything, but he can manipulate things. God is the creator. This is understanding the theology of the church. God creates and forms, but the devil can manipulate and twist and turn. That's why he's known as the prince of darkness. And if God's will in this world, this kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, is something that you and I are about to be engaged in, then we understand where does this source of evil come from? Well, we suddenly participate in the work of the evil when we turn to ourselves. So when we read creation, we see that we were fearfully, beautifully, and wonderfully made in the image of God. That's true. Every one of us is imaki odei, created in the image of God. But when God gives us free will, we have a tendency to turn to our own desires and we tend to mar that image or we tend to taint that image. And this is what happens. We are creating God's image, but when we make choices that center on ourselves and our own desires, 
then we mar that image of God in which we were created. This is what's known as the depravity of man in a basic term. And some would say, well, we're all just basically good. If we just did such and such and such and such, it wouldn't be so bad. That simply is a humanistic way of approaching the reality that we were created in the image of God. There is goodness in us, but we mar that image when we exercise our free will to do what we want, what serves our purposes. I'll present you just one case, one example, and I rest my case. If you get a group of two-year-olds together, do you have to teach the two-year-olds to do right, or do you have to teach them to do wrong? Do you have to teach them to be selfless, or do you have to teach them to be selfish? And if you get that group of two-year-olds together, and you don't feed them, and you don't give them their drink that they want for at least 30 minutes, I rest my case for the proof of original sin. <laughs> right? There's something that we do. We, we form, right? We form and shape. Now, there's not inherent evil in that three-year-old or two-year-old, though sometimes it gets really close. <laughs> right? But just think about that. Mine. Mine. Right? That selfish cling. So, don't get overly wrapped up in uh, Spurgeon's words, sinners in the hands of an angry God. Think of it this way, sinners in the hands of a loving God, right? A God that loves you, that seeks and desires relationship with you in Christ. And that the work of the evil one, as we think about bringing God's kingdom in earth as it is in heaven, is to make us doubt everything about God's goodness and God's grace. So that when we have moments of things we cannot answer and what we do not know, we're faced with a choice. Will we trust even when we don't know? Your brother Woody has reminded me and reminded you, trust. I can remember, as I've told you before, where my dad was sitting, he had his cancer diagnosis, he was given nine months to a year to live, he lived nine months, he was sitting on a stone outside the garden tomb, outside of Jerusalem, when he said to me, Bert, I figured it out. And I said, well, Dad, what have you figured out? Have you ever had a parent or a family member like that, that they'll give you phrases, and they're sort of fishing for you to... That's just the way my dad communicated. He would say things, for example, well, did your mother tell you what happened? <laughs> no, dad, mom didn't say anything. What happened, right? So what have you figured out, dad? He says, well, I know I need to go back. And he was a retired pastor at that time doing pastoral care. He was giving all the time. And he was able to say, I'm going to ask Pastor Tommy, the senior pastor of the church where they worship, to simply share in a sermon what I do know and what I don't know. And then he said this, I'm not going to let what I don't know keep me from believing in the miracle of God. And that was a phrase that we used by a former military individual who is our guide, Amnon, who said, as we go and visit the Holy Land, don't let what you don't know for certain about a physical space keep you from believing in the miracle of the story. In other words, did Jesus stand there or did Jesus stand here? Don't get wrapped up in that. He was here. And don't let what you don't know keep you from believing in the miracle of the story of faith. So the first thing, friends, is cling. Cling to what you can know and don't get distracted by what you don't know. And, and know this, 
every conversation theologically will always go back to the garden. Did God really say that? And God's saying, where are you? So friends, first thing to say is, where are you? And bringing God's kingdom to bear on earth as it is in heaven, where are you? Are you letting your life, your words, and your actions reflect the transformative love of Christ? Are you? And here's the second thing I want to say about that, about the work of the evil one. I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. By a show of hands, anybody read Screw Tape Letters in here with C.S. Lewis? Yeah. Got some, I commend it to you. Now, this is an oversimplification of C.S. Lewis and Screw Tape Letters, but basically, what you have is Screw Tape, which is the evil one, and you got Wormwood, who is sort of the second lieutenant or second person learning to do the evil. And basically, what happens is Screw Tape tells Wormwood, Look, if we want to get at these Christians, if you just get them to turn on each other, we don't have to work so hard. Now, that's an oversimplification, but that's what the message is. And friends, what I experience in the world today is that it is amazing how quickly in an effort to pursue holiness of heart and life, in an effort to speak how we are distinctive as followers of Christ, how we seek to bring heaven on earth as it is in heaven, heaven on earth as it is in heaven, we have a tendency to fall into wounding our own. And I think it's partly because it's so easy to criticize. And I want to give you a very practical example of this. 150 million people watched the Super Bowl last week, and Clint Wiley has been unbearable this week. (laughs) He came in Monday, and he had Kansas City shoes, Kansas City socks, Kansas City hoodie, And now he has five Kansas City banners in his office. I'm thinking about approaching the trustees and saying that there needs to be a limit to the number of secular banners that you can put in your office. But there was an ad that went, uh, that, that showed during the Super Bowl of the many, and one of them was, he gets us. Okay, it's an ad about, you know, he gets us. And and look, I I thought, man, that's not the whole story. But then something happened on Monday that blew my mind. Uh, It was amazing to me that I could only find in all the criticisms two of posts and things of criticism that didn't come from people who either were angry because they said $7 million could have been used to feed the hungry and do that, or it was a literally a character assassination of just sort of mentioning it. So what I did is I have a thing called the Monday Minute and I posted it on my own Facebook page. I just said, I find it interesting. I find it interesting for all of the criticism about he gets us. I wonder if this could be the opportunity for us as Christians to enter into conversations where Jesus never was before. What if maybe we just took the opportunity to say, hey, you know, it's never really been about Jesus getting us. It's been about us getting Jesus. So I just put that out there for a conversation. The vitriol that I saw was sort of repeated. This overwhelming need to be hypercritical of anything that doesn't align was so amazing. And I got to think, what's going on? I think what's going on is we are obsessed with our culture of being able to be keyboard warriors 
and armchair criticizers of everything because it's so much easier to criticize something in someone else than to enter into the fray of life where not everything is crystal clear, where you have to live in the tension between what you do know and what you don't know. Friends, I want to challenge you. And I want you to hear this clear call. I believe in the core of my being that when we began to talk about Wesley's pamphlet to a people called Methodist, do you remember what he said? Do not abandon your principles. Do not speak evil of those who may not agree with your principles. Pray for them. I'm convinced the world needs this sort of lens and witness in a world that only knows how to criticize and tear down to simply step into it and say, uh, tell me more what you think about that. Uh, tell me more where that, um, in, where do you see that revealed? Uh, where, where are the scriptures that, that talk about that? Well, yeah, Jesus did that, but there's some feet that Jesus didn't wash. I wonder what that's about. Without the need to be hypercritical and make others faults or things you disagree with, stepping stones to your own self-righteousness. But what if we were certain in our faith, and here's what I'm convinced of, the degree to which we have a command of the scriptures and are comfortable with knowing who we are and whose we are is directly tied to our comfort level to step into the places where it's marginal or messy. Because we're not afraid of losing our identity, but we're asking, how does God want to move in the midst of this? So let me offer you, as we did last week, this word from 1 Peter. Last week, we looked at 1 Peter to find out this pursuit of holiness and heart and life. What should it look like? Today, we look towards 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 to find out what does it look like for you and me? What is the biblical witness of who we are called to be? This is what Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Do you remember last week, 1 Peter chapter 1? gird up or guard your minds. This is about your mind and what you think. It's about heart and your will, right? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Read this next sentence with me. But do this with gentleness and respect. Stop right there. Do this with gentleness and respect. Now listen to these words. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The word slander in the Greek means accusations. Did first Peter say, if you get punched, punch back harder? No. If you get maligned on something, or if you think it's out of line, make sure you post on Facebook everything you disagree with and tell them they're going to hell if they don't change their mind. <laughs> no. You've got to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ. This requires that we spend time in the scriptures, in a devotional life, in a community of faith, where Bo can look at me and say, hey, Bert, I, I don't think you're really getting what this passage is saying. Or, hey, brother, I want to encourage you with this, that 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 conversation would lead me to be more faithful, where Doug can speak into my life and Karen can speak into my life, where together we can say, where is Christ calling us together? So that when we encounter in the world someone saying, what is this? We can give the reason for the hope that we have with gentleness and respect. 
Friends, Lent is this season to recover the kingdom values in our minds and in our hearts. And it ultimately is asking us one question, who will we trust? Who will we trust? If you don't make a conscious movement in your mind and your heart to trust Christ as revealed in the scriptures, you will be like a sponge. Remember last year I brought in the great big sponge? Real simple. It's like a chill. It's amazing to me how many children's sermons are more profound for congregations than a 20-minute sermon, right? But we poured out some, some clear water and some dirty water, and I showed you that a dry sponge will soak up what's around it, whether it's a dirty or stagnant, stale, infested water, or it's clear water, the sponge will simply absorb what's around it. You are sponges in this world. Surround yourselves in daily devotions and the reading of Scripture with God's Word. You will absorb it. Open your Facebook in the morning, watch whatever news channel gets your blood pressure up early, and you will absorb all of that too. Friends, we are called to be people of the kingdom We are called to be followers of Christ in the way of Christ. We are called to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts and in our minds so that we would always be prepared so that whatever accusation comes to us, we would not punch back with the world being a keyboard warrior or in ugliness. But we can simply say to do so with gentleness and respect. Come on, church. Let's get in the conversation. Let's get in the messiness. Let's be okay knowing that Christ stepped into the brokenness of the world in conversation, and that's where you and I are called to be as well. You don't have to fix anything. In fact, raise your name, raise your hand in this room if your name is Jesus Christ and you died on the cross to save the world. Good. You're not the Savior. You're just the messenger. That should free you to realize you don't have to fix or save anybody. You just need to, with gentleness and respect, share who Christ is to you. Let's pray together. God, as we move into this season of Lent, would you help us to continue to set apart Christ as Lord in our hearts? Help us to engage the disciplines of the reading of Scripture and daily devotional life in such a way that we would so clearly be able to see and hear where you are leading each of us. Help us not to let these words, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, be for everybody else, but to integrate that into our personal understanding of who we are and help us to share in the building of your kingdom. For these things we pray in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen.